This program is brought to you by PersonalLifeMedia.com. Hi, and welcome to Green Talk, a podcast series from GreenLivingIdeas.com. Green Talk helps listeners in their efforts to lead more eco-friendly lifestyles through interviews with top vendors, authors, and experts from around the world. We discuss the critical issues facing the global environment today, as well as the technologies, products, and practices that you can employ to go greener in every area of your life. Hey everyone, this is Sean Daly with Green Talk Radio. Today we have a new installment in our ongoing Green Blogger series, where I talk to the Lojas industry's top bloggers. On today's episode, I'll be talking with Derek Markham, a writer for the green parenting blogs Eco Child's Play, as well as EatDrinkBetter.com, which are both part of the Green Options Media Network, as well as NaturalFather.blogspot.com and API Speaks at AttachmentParenting.org slash blog. In addition to his writing work, Derek has worked in the natural foods industry for 10 years and is currently employed as the general manager of a food cooperative in Fort Collins, Colorado. He and his wife are advocates for detachment parenting and home birth, and together they homeschool their two children. They recently completed a five-and-a-half-year alternative lifestyle experiment, living with their children in an 8-by-15-foot trailer, hauling all their water by hand, and using a humanure toilet, something I'd never heard of before, in an attempt to lower their planetary footprint. So Derek, welcome to Green Talk Radio. Hi, thanks, Sean. Thanks for having me on. Well, I'm really excited to have you on, and I have to. I'm going to warn everybody uh, on today's episode that Derek and I we we, we have never talked before, uh, at least in, in vocal form. We have uh, gotten to know each other as I have with a number of the green bloggers uh, through various social networks. But one of the things through reading your articles, and I've read many of them. In fact, I, I th- I'd say I read more of you than than anybody else because of the subjects you write on that are so near and dear to my own heart, the way that, that I live and parent, um, and just, you know, quite frankly, the, the quality of the writing. It's funny because I'm gonna t- I might talk a little bit more than I usually do. I usually like to let the guests talk a lot, but you're going to say things that are going to get me really excited today, I know. So I'm going to just ask for everyone's uh, indulgence and forgiveness in advance. But, but again, on a serious note, I'm really excited to, to have you and talk about your writing and, and uh, these issues about green, you know, really green living as well as uh, parenting topics. So, so let's dive right in. I want to get to know you a little bit more. Talk to me on just on the personal side about what led you into a greener lifestyle, greener living. Wow. It's kind of a double, double headed path here. I mean, one side, I was on a pretty serious spiritual journey and, and, uh, the, the concept of nonviolence, you know, was really prominent in my thoughts and, uh, I met my wife. She was a, a vegetarian at the time. And, kind of a joke between us because I used to say I'll never eat tofu and you know 10 years later you know 11 years later you know I'm still a vegetarian uh it was a big change for me so on a personal level that was happening and on a on a kind of a work level um I was working for sort of a big business job and I was being asked to perform miracles uh with no regard for you know my personal life my finances and I got so fed up I just walked and uh the same day I went down to our local food co-op where I'd been volunteering and uh, had an interview and they hired me as kind of the low man on the totem pole, stocked a lot of bins, uh, stocked a lot of produce. And working there is such a great community of people who are really conscious. Now, everybody's got their own little thing. Some people are raw foodists, some people are vegetarian, some are diehard political activists, but everybody's sort of looking, trying to look behind the spin. And it, it caused me to really examine 
my personal habits and the way that I fed my family, what we fed them and, and our impact on the planet. I happened to read something in, I believe it was a Mennonite cookbook. And it was just a little quote that said, live simply so that others may simply live. And that just made so much sense to me. Having traveled a lot as, as a child, I got to see sort of the other side and come back to America and seeing that we really got it good. We're pretty spoiled here. You know, we can get food from all over whenever we want it. We don't want it anymore. We stick it on the curb. Somebody will take it and just make it disappear. And I wanted to live my life a little more transparently. And, uh, and my wife is, is really on the same page. I mean, she brought a lot of that to the table when we got married. But I, but I have to say the last, uh, you know, 10 years or so, working in the natural foods industry has really been pivotal for me in getting a lot of the inside scoop and a lot of the issues. Um, I mean, working there before there was even the national organic standards, uh, before green was really a buzzword even. They were just things that made sense to people who cared. So it's exciting now to see a lot of that in the mainstream and, and to be a part of that, being able to write for an audience online that you know, wouldn't maybe, maybe they're not fully green. Maybe they're, you know, yellow green. I don't know something, but, but they're curious. They know there's health impacts and there's financial impacts and they're curious. And, uh, and so I found a lot of, of what I've been trying to do online is, is learning to write for an audience that, that doesn't go, Oh yeah, we know that. Oh yeah, we know that. I mean, they're the people who say, what is yerba mate and what's up with goji berries? So, so it's been an interesting journey for me. I don't feel like I'm an expert by any means, but we have a really good community here that is really, really conscious. And, you know, like I said, working as the general manager of this food co-op now, we're really, it's a really tight market. You know, a lot of the big grocery stores are carrying organic or green products. Um, they're, they're talking up local and, you know, people, ha people have a lot of choice. They don't have to go to the little tiny stores anymore. And so that was the point of a lot of these old wave co-ops where they were the only source for brown rice or whole wheat flour. So it's great that we have the reach that we have with organic and natural foods. On the flip side, there's a lot of uh, greenwashing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I wanted to ask you, moving forward from uh, that work, how did you first fall into becoming a writer and a green blogger? And, and also, how has that affected your life? Wow. Well, I, you know, I've been a sort of a closet scribbler for years. I mean, probably since I got out of school uh, and, you know, made a few attempts at, at writing for print, but it's a really a different market. And I kept reading others' blogs. So one day I went down to my office, I call it the man cave <laughs> in the basement. And, uh, you know, went on the blogger and just started this natural father blog with the intent on sort of scratching my, my writing itch, but also maybe getting a little more, uh, uh, a little more wide of an audience other than my friends who are, you know, sick of hearing me talk. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I did that for a couple of months and then uh, the lead writer for Eco Child's Play, Jennifer Lance, um, contacted me and said, would you be interested in, in writing for Eco Child's Play? We have a lot of women or mother bloggers on there. We don't really have any fathers that write for that. And I was just so jazzed to hear that. So, you know, somebody's reading my stuff and, you know, here's a chance to, to hook up with this other really exciting blog network um, that's really, I think, grown by leaps and bounds. And, and for me, uh, let me reiterate, I guess it, it, what I was saying before is as I, I see this this push, people really want to know what's healthier and what's, what has the less impact on the planet, but not everybody's ready to take the plunge. Um, and so I, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm an advocate of building bridges uh, instead of 
pointing fingers. I mean, there's a, there's a habit of that when you get inside, say, the natural foods industry. There's a habit of pointing a finger and saying, oh, well, that's, you know, that's not organic or those people shop at, you know, Walmart or, or whatever. Uh, but a real pivotal book for me was uh, was Be Here Now. And there was a there's a page in there where, you know, Ram Das goes on about, you know, hippies create police and police create hippies and opposites create and feed off each other. Was sort of a big aha moment. And so, you know, I'm learning to be able to, to speak the language of, I don't want to say that the average Joe, but a person who isn't, you know, green, so to speak, or they don't think that they are, and, uh, and putting it in words that they can understand and, and sort of making it personal. I mean, recently, you know, there's been a number of health warnings about, uh, you know, BPA and, and uh, recently bottled water was a hot one where, you know, there was a, we, we assume that something maybe is healthier for us because we trust, you know, big, biz, big business to take care of us. And it's been, uh, it's been a fun experience for me to be able to sort of shine the light in the corner, so to speak, and, and say, you know, it, it may, maybe things aren't as clean and as pure as we like them, but here's some alternatives and here's some good things that are going on in the natural and lifestyle industry. Um, and here's people who are, especially entrepreneurs out there, you know, trying to educate uh, the average consumer so that they can protect their family, so that they can uh, keep a closer eye on their pocketbook. And I think it just makes sense for all of us. So I'm excited to be able to share that message on a little bit bigger scale than I have with, say, Natural Father or, like I said, my, my friends who are who are sick of me talking it up. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and one of the things that's really impressed me about your writing is that you cover topics that I think have been heretofore not covered ac- adequately or at all, and specifically in regards to natural parenting and natural fatherhood. And what, what does that even mean? You know, and what I want to describe what I mean there is it's a, a more sort of the traditional roles of the mother in terms of the emotional side of parenting that we, I think we grew up with there not being a lot of support for. And what I have seen in your writing, and really every time I read your writing, I, I feel like it's like, oh, I, part of me feels like, oh, I wish I had written that you know because it's it, but, but it's it's very cathartic in a way because you you are writing the words that I think a lot of men have in their hearts that they that appeals to them but there isn't a lot of voice public voice for and and so I really applaud you for that and again for anybody who's listening in today I highly highly recommend that you look for Derek's work you'll find it online at Equal Child's Play numerous other sites that we'll mention uh, before and after the break and at the end again but um, yeah so I want to really applaud you on, on being at the vanguard of what I you know consider sort of new new fatherhood really thanks thanks for the big compliment you know a lot of what i saw out there was a lot of the the monobloggers and 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 i love moms and i think they do a a heck of a great job and a very difficult job but i also felt there were some things you know in my life is sort of the classic pregnant dad syndrome you know everyone asks you how your wife is you know and maybe not how you're doing you know and and uh you know, sort of breaking out of that, that older model, too, of, uh, of fathers who are maybe not there all the time. I mean, I grew up with a dad who worked really, really hard. He wasn't around very much. I love him, but I feel a little bit distant from him. And I wanted to be able to share a little bit of what I've been feeling with my kids. I mean, I'm, I'm Papa at home. And one of the, the things that just, you know, puts a big smile on my face is, Papa's home, Papa's home, you know, and really connecting with my kids and being present. Uh, it enables me to let go of, you know, my work worries and money worries, all of these day-to-day things, and get back to, to being present and sitting there and, and sitting there in awe of a flower or a bug or, hey, let's see what we can make out of Legos. And so I, I, I see a lot of men out there who 
are very engaged with their kids. And I, and I felt like, you know, I wanted to share that, 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 that we're out there. We're not all deadbeat dads and we're not all, you know, <laughs> the, the sort of the, the TV, you know, Homer Simpson, I don't know, married with children sort of image of, you know, dad's the big buffoon, but, but we are, you know, these conscious males who are trying to, to reconnect with, with families and with their wives and being present at birth, you know, however it looks for you. Uh, I, I understand there's a lot of stay at home dads these days. I kind of, I'm kind of envious, but I also know that when I have done things like that, when my wife said, I go, Oh my goodness, I'm glad I got to get to go to a job because this is really hard work. So <laughs> in yeah. a sense, you know, a dad, you know, we, we get a lot of the fun stuff too, you know, we, what we do. And, and then, but in the traditional parenting, I think relationships and roles that we've missed a lot of things that again, there haven't been support, hasn't been support for, or the structure of work and, and the traditional, the older traditional family, which is, I think really changing and has changed quite a bit, uh, sort of precluded. And those are things like just that experience of being in the home more often with the children. And, you know, everybody goes, Oh yeah, right. The screaming kids and the making meals and all that. But no, it's like the quiet space, the connection, the, the recognition of this other human being that you're so blessed and, and, and fortunate to be just existing with that, that came from you yet is completely separate from you. And uh, it should be your friend. I mean, and you advocate that whole idea of your kids are your friends and yes, you have to be a parent too, you know, but, but right. this is your opportunity to be, to, to enjoy the, possibly one of the greatest friendships of your entire life um, and to find a way through that. And I, and I, quite frankly, I feel sorry for a lot of men who don't have that opportunity and women uh, who don't have that opportunity because of their work hours. And it's one of the reasons that I always uh, advocate and I, I have a different podcast where I talk about um, people quitting their, their jobs and starting their own businesses and working from home, um, you know, because I sometimes feel a little bit guilty with the time I get to spend with my kids because of that proximity. Um, so anyway, I, you know, I really, again, just want to not to beat a dead horse, but really applaud uh, the writing you're doing there because I'm not seeing it in a lot of other places. I wanted to uh, take a break at this point and, and come back. We have a lot more to talk about. I'd like to hear uh, about some of your work at the food co-op, how that's changed your ideas. But we'll take a quick break. I am talking today with Derek Markham. He's a green blogger specializing in natural parenting and natural food topics. His work is featured on the green blogs, Eco Child's Play, naturalfather.blogspot.com, and many others. We'll be right back on Green Talk Radio. Thanks, everyone. Okay, and we're back on Green Talk Radio, talking today with Derek Markham. He's a green blogger specializing in natural parenting and natural food topics. He writes for numerous blogs, including eatdrinkbetter.com, ecochildsplay.com, and Natural Father, as well as API Speaks. Derek, we were talking before the break about your background, um, the sort of the character arc for you in green living and, and natural fatherhood, uh, and then into writing. Uh, I'm curious about the work that you've done with the food co-op and how that's affected the way you're thinking about uh, the economy and, and business in general. Can you share with us a little bit about that? Yeah, I really love the, uh, the concept of uh, food co-ops. In general, actually, any kind of cooperative, um, you know, in different cities, there are housing co-ops, car co-ops, bicycle co-ops. Uh, it just depends on what's really important to you. And as a community organization, we really, I mean, my co-op is an old wave co-op. It started in the early 70s as a buying club, started in, you know, in somebody's closet and has grown into this storefront to this, you know, one and a half million dollar a year business. And our 
focus is that triple bottom line. Our, you know, I like to say that we're a people-centered business, and we really care about the people that work for us. We really care about you know those people that, that live and shop around us. Um, and and honestly, you know, with with organics being really really profitable, the number of independent company companies selling natural foods has really decreased. Uh, there's there's some huge conglomerates that just because you're buying not, natural foods doesn't mean it's you know supporting necessarily a, a small farm. And I really like the idea of a, the food cooperatives having this independence and this freedom to 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 start and to maintain relationships easier with uh, local. Uh, growers and producers uh, were really involved in like the eat local, buy local scene. There's a national organization, the Business Alliance for Local Living Economies, and we have a chapter here in Fort Collins that started, uh, let's see, a couple years ago, trying to raise people's awareness on the importance of, you know, patronizing local and independent businesses. And really, it comes back to that again, that that triple bottom line, that that uh, community supported idea, but, you know, there's a big difference between spending your money at a big box chain and spending your money at a local independent business, how much money then goes to those employees who then patronize other local businesses, and that circle of profit keeps flowing. And I have a number of friends who are small businessmen, entrepreneurs, and they're starting to see the light and saying, oh, wow, you know, I can't expect maybe my small business to thrive if I am always patronizing these, uh, you know, corporate behemoths, and it's certainly easier to get, and it's worth to pay, even if you got to pay a little bit more to patronize another local business. And with the food cooperative, I started to realize that our image hadn't changed in 30 years, and people still thought of us as this sort of funky hippie store, not, you know, sort of a cash-poor business. You don't see a lot of glossy storefronts. Uh, you don't see a lot of glossy promo material, a lot of deep discounts, that kind of a thing. Uh, and about two years ago, I started this conversation with a local design firm, and I was really looking for a logo. I mean, I was, I was kind of clueless about the whole thing. And they came in and looked at our operation. We had a lot of conversations, uh, did a lot of uh, asking the questions of the community and finding out who we are, what we do, uh, what niche do we serve in, in the community. And we recently finished this. It's been like a 15-month project of rebranding our store. And a lot of that had to do with, with having a sort of a unified image. I mean, we had hundreds of hand-drawn signs telling people the prices and what's on sale, and it really didn't appeal to the clientele that we were trying to attract. I mean, we have our die-hard student population, our die-hard, you know, old-school hippie population, but the sort of the newer uh, upper-middle class that has a higher disposal income that is buying organics, we weren't able to attract them. So it's been a big lesson for me on you know how you pre present your how you present yourself. And so we did a makeover. We just had a, a, a re grand opening about a week ago, and man, it was just this phenomenal process of getting input from the community on on the place the in the heart of the community that that we were. Uh, we we went around and solicited discounted goods, discounted services. I mean, we were we were pretty shameless. This design firm, and we solicited about one hundred and sixty thousand dollars worth of free and discounted goods and services. And that to me says a lot about how important you know these little businesses are to the community that we've really become like a resource. Hey, we can trust you. You're like the corner grocery store. You're kind of kind of throwback to Mayberry, you know, or the what it is uh, on Cheers, you know, everybody knows your name, that kind yeah. of a place. 
and I really enjoy that. I'm a um, I'm a relationship kind of a person, and to me, everything's personal. You know, I can't I, I can't do the dispersonal uh, business thing. It's not just a transaction; it's a relationship. It seems to me that it's a lot like an extension or an adjunct to what a lot of people understand with uh, they have with the farmer's market, but it, give, it gives it a, a bricks-and-mortar face, as it were, a place because tr- farmer's markets tend to be once or maybe twice a week, and you never know who you're going to get, and it changes all the time. And this is a sort of an opportunity. It's not an either-or, but rather supplementary to it um, in, in a lot of ways. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and people really are starting to pick up on that, you know, with what's, what's in season, uh, you know, can I buy seconds and preserve them at home? Can I get a, get a good deal? A lot of people utilize us as a way to stock up on things so we can get them large bags of grains, you name it, for about 20% above cost, which is really about as cheap as you're going to find it unless you're, a, unless you're a retailer yourself or people who have food allergies. That's a big one for us. And I, I wanted to, if you don't mind, I want to switch gears and talk a little bit back to, you know, talking about kids and one of my favorite topics and, uh, and, and home births. And I know that you and your wife had made the decision to have unassisted home births. And that's, and this is a topic that can be controversial. I pointed out to you that uh, you, there was an article that you did uh, on it, on home birthing. And I thought it was a great article and it was, I believe it was on the eco child's play uh, site, right. if I'm not mistaken. And it was interesting because a Google ad popped up about, which really surprised me as I looked over, it was about, you know, I, I get, it was totally negative on home births. And I just thought, wow, there are people out there buying Google ads against this, you know, which kind of led me to want to ask you, Derek, if you could share with us your uh, perspective on that and the, what was behind the decision that you and your wife made. Our experience was a, a little different maybe than most, but my wife was very, very into learning about midwifery. We have a, a couple of friends who are midwives and some other friends who are doulas or birth assistants and you know, went through numerous books and attended other people's births. Uh, so she sort of knew uh, you know, what she was getting into as far as what to expect, you know, from the emotional side all the way to the sort of the medical side. And it's very, very interesting because how controversial it is when we would mention to people that we were thinking of this, there was a lot of fear. And we had decided in our lives that we weren't going to live our lives from a state of fear as a what if, you know, I mean, there, there was certainly a leap of faith there. Uh, and to put it in perspective, you know, we live, you know, five minutes from a hospital. If we needed emergency care, we'd done our homework. Uh, but we decided that it's after having one planned birth, home birth that ended in the hospital, uh, my wife got, uh, I don't know if you can actually get it or if it just developed, but preeclampsia or toxemia. Mm-hmm. And it was getting really dangerous for her. So we had an induced birth in the hospital with our first child. And our experience, we ended up with our beautiful child. But the sort of mechanistic uh, approach at the hospital felt like we were taking our car into shop and it just turned both of us off so much. And we said, we really want to do this at home. And after attending other, other friends' births with midwives, we said, you know, the birth is such a sacred experience. We really want to have this sort of family primal experience. And we want to, to, uh, you know, bring our child into the world and in this, in this state of trust. And, and I have to say it's not for everybody. I mean, home birth is not for everybody either because I, I honestly believe if a family or a mother actually feels safer in the hands of an OB or in the hospital, then that's where she ought to be. But we're, we're also, my wife and I are also big believers in the sort of intuitive nature of our bodies and that a woman's body has this sort of primal knowledge that I've seen it myself. When she went into labor, this 
whole other persona came up and she was so in touch with what was happening. Yeah. Um, and, and wasn't afraid. So there's a lot of fear there. And I find that the medical establishment is wonderful at putting you back together if you're in, in, in crisis. Yeah. And I wouldn't discount any of that because I would certainly rush my family to the hospital if there, if there was an indication of that. Uh, but for some things like birth, it is such a natural process that for women who aren't high risk, and who have done the work and they have a partner that's willing, I can say it's one of the most amazing moments of my life is to catch my child and to cut the umbilical cord and then to walk uh, right into our bedroom and, and not have to go anywhere, not have to be bogged every 15 minutes to, you know, for the nurse to come check your vitals. You know, for us, it was, it was about, all about that sacred space and we wanted to maintain that. Uh, and we're planning another home birth. We're planning another unassisted birth. Uh, and we've now just found that we don't uh, we don't tell everybody that because most people can't handle it, um, and and it, it's such a personal thing. I couldn't con- I wouldn't want to convince anybody to do it unless they were drawn to it, and and it really would depend on on their situation. And we also have a big support group. We also personally know several midwives, and we know that there's somebody we can call to get you know, a little bit of advice from, or to say, you know what, you guys need to go to the hospital or, Oh, you're fine. That's totally normal. So we have that. Not everyone has that. And, and so I, I know that we're, you know, we're not the, the typical couple, but uh, it's certainly achievable. I was really blown away by some of this anti home birth. Uh, I want to say propaganda <laughs> after you pointed it out to me, I had to go look at it. And I was thinking to myself, wow, you know, talk about a fear mongering you know, all of these uh, risks are certainly there, but, you know, maybe 50,000 people a year die as a result of automobile accidents, but we're not telling people not to drive. There is a propensity that I have found uh, in the medical, the sort of the traditional medical community to treat uh, people in general, but particularly mothers in the birth process, as if they don't really know anything. And you talked about that primal wisdom, and I saw the same thing with my wife during uh, the two births of our children, and where something emerges, and it's undeniable of the, this. They they know what to do, and it isn't to say that um, you don't need to have backup. <laughs> and and right. we we found a sort of a halfway house, as it were, for people that. Uh, you know, or, or want to do a more natural birth, but aren't quite ready to do a home birth. So the first time we did it, we were wanting to do it. And all of that, everything you said really appealed to us, those ideas, but we also didn't want to, you know, screw up or have anything bad happen or, you know, cause we were first time parents. And so, um, we found this place that I, I know that there are other places like this across the country that's called, uh, uh it's a home birth center. It's called the birth center in, in Santa Rosa, California. And they did such a great job. They had a doula. We went to classes and the environment was very much like a house. I mean, they run it, the inside. It's cozy and warm and, you know, fireplace and couches and in separate rooms. And there's two rooms in case there's two births at the same time. But for us, it was really a segue into doing a home birth, um, um, and it worked out really well. The people were wonderful. It felt more natural. We were able to go home, you know, a few hours later. And but they also they were very careful about having a doctor on call uh, if anything was to happen. They were ready with that. So 
you know, that if for people that maybe don't have the, they're, they're not feel, they don't feel ready to do the full home birth. That was an option. I'll say that for our second birth, we did a full home birth. We brought the midwife and the doulas into the house with us. And we, when we did the birth there and both experiences were, were wonderful and I wouldn't compare them, but they were very different. And yeah. being able to do that home birth again, still with the doctor on call at the hospital, knowing, being aware of the birth going on, you know, you have right. those backups in place, you can relax. And it was, as you put it, a, a magical experience catching in my, in my son and my daughter, which I got to do both times and being part of that, not being told I'm not part of this, not being told, um, that, uh, you know, I have to wait that I'm outside of it. And then on my wife's side, you know, being really treated with the respect and deference that she deserved in going through that process and, and being a warrior, uh, Absolutely. which is what one has to do on, as a mother or father to go through that experience. So yeah, very, very, very cool. Um, well, I, I have just, we are running out of time. So I want to, I want to ask you one last question that I've got for you. I've heard that you and your wife use the communication elimination techniques of infant sign language and, and infant potty training with your children. And it's funny because I had some friends that had threatened to do that, but they never followed through. They talked about it for like a year before. And so it makes me ask, how difficult was that to implement? And ultimately, would you consider it a success? Oh, I, I absolutely consider it a success. So we started uh, our kids at a very, I mean, really within hours of birth, I mean, really, they're not ready to fully eliminate then. But once they start breastfeeding, we, we saw that uh, our children have a rhythm and, and there are certain things they won't do. They wouldn't pee while they're asleep and they wouldn't pee while they were nursing. But other than that, it was about every 15 minutes. And so my wife, I, you know, she's been able to be a stay-at-home mom our entire marriage, and that's wonderful. I, I, I know that it can be difficult for moms who work, um, but she got in a rhythm of, of making a little bit of a sound. I mean, we went every time uh, the baby went pee, and we put them in, in sort of a squatting position over a little container, and pretty soon, and, and we also had a little hand sign for it, and it wasn't very long. I mean, you know, with a really young infant, they don't make too many signs, but they can hear. They maybe don't speak English, but they're not dumb. You know, they're these little tiny people. So giving them, them that option to be able to communicate with us is pretty amazing. And I see my daughter, you know, waving her fist. I know she's got to go pee, and she's an infant. I can hold her over her container. She does her business. We still put a diaper on her just in case. You know, we don't want to have a lot of accidents in public. But uh, And she still wore diapers for about a year and a half. Uh, mostly just in case, but we, uh, it greatly decreased the amount of diapers that we had to wash. Um, but it was, again, another amazing aha moment of this is how probably two-thirds of the world that doesn't have access to a washing machine or disposable diapers, that's what they do with their children. I mean, all over in the third world, uh, it may seem a bit strange to us uh, modern maybe Americans to, you know, squat your baby on the side of the road and have them go pee. But it's such a natural thing for those who don't have access to that sort of the, the diapers. Um, and, the, and the infant sign language is also another phenomenal way for your baby to, to be able to communicate before their little mouths and palates can articulate. And she learned a handful of signs and could say more. She could say sleepy. She could say nurse me. And I think that that has a lot to do with how much a baby cries and how easily or, you know, how easy going there because they know their needs are being met. You know, it did take some effort. Uh, it's not for everybody again, but it's a lot easier than you would think. 
Great. Well, Derek, I can't tell you what a pleasure it's been to finally meet you and, and talk with you today. I really appreciate you coming on and sharing your story with our listeners. And again, just want to say to everybody out there, if you're not already reading Derek's work on the sites I mentioned, uh, ecochildsplay.com, eatdrinkbetter.com, as well as uh, naturalfather.blogspot.com and the others, uh, definitely need to check him out. He's on my must-read list, and he should be on yours as well, uh, whether you're a father, mother, or otherwise. Uh, so, so Derek, and also I wanted to mention that for those of you on Twitter.com, you can find him at uh, Natural Papa. So, Derek, thanks again for being with us, and I definitely uh, would love to talk to you again sometime in the near future. Thank you, Sean. Thanks for having me on. I had a blast. Thanks, as always, to everyone listening in today. Remember, for more free on-demand podcasts, articles, videos, and other information related to living a greener lifestyle, visit our website at www.greenlivingideas.com. We'd also love to hear your comments, feedback, and questions. Send us an email at editors at greenlivingideas.com. Find more great shows like this on personallifemedia.com.